Mike Touchere is a father, husband, veteran, and a gold medalist in the 2009 World Games. He won eight USA Powerlifting National Championship, a bronze, three silvers, and one gold medal in the IPF World Championship, set three IPF World Records multiple times, competed internationally in both the single ply and unequipped. He's the founder of the Reactive Training System and has couched 12 IPF World Record setting power lifts. He has a great passion for problem solving and optimizing. Let's get after it. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and consequently less inhumane. All right, so uh, welcome back to another episode of the Raven Report podcast. I'm Chaplain Sanders, and I have uh, three very interesting guests, and we're going to go uh, kind of around the the corner, around the horn, and uh, save the best for last. So first, I have uh, Sir First Class Russell Anderson here. We say say hello. Hello, how's everybody doing today? Right you are. I am 81st Brigade Master Fitness Trainer, right. helping people get uh, ready for the fight, making sure that combat readiness is a uh, Going forward. All right. We have a, a returning co-host, yes. Sergeant First Class, Austin J. Carmack. Good. Yeah, so I'm uh, Sergeant Carmack. Uh, I'm in RRB, the Recruiting Retention Battalion. I do RSP stuff there, and I do S3 operations, and I'm happy to be here. All right. And then you're going to introduce our special guest. Yeah, so we got uh, Mike Tashir. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a veteran. He's a gold medalist at the 2009 World Games, uh, the first male in USA powerlifting history to do this. Uh, he's won eight USA Powerlifting National Championships, two bronze, three silver, and one gold medals in the IPF World Championship. He set three IPF World Records multiple times, complete, competed internationally, both in single ply and unequipped. He's the founder of Reactive Training Systems, RTS, and has coached 12 IPF World, Wrecking, world Record Setting Powerlifters. Uh, he has a great passion for problem solving and optimizing. Sound about right? That's it. All right. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so we got a couple of questions for you. Um, so uh, you had mentioned uh, being in the Air Force as a young man. Uh, what was your experience with that, and uh, how did powerlifting play into that? Well, uh, I always wanted to uh, be a pilot as a kid. So, of course, you know, I uh, was interested in the Air Force. Uh, so in high school, I went to the Air Force Academy uh, and joined the powerlifting team while I was there. Uh, I was really into lifting weights and being strong and, you know, got obviously really into it as a, as a you know, on the powerlifting team. And somewhere along there, decided maybe being a pilot wasn't for me. Uh, so after I commissioned, I uh, went to uh, Space Missiles. I was a missile air uh, stationed in Minot, North Dakota for five years and uh, worked with missile alerts uh, at the uh, Minuteman 3 underground. Uh, launch facilities and yeah, it was uh it, it was good it was uh it's one of these things that was better than I probably understood it to be at the time um I don't know it, it's weird how military service seems to be like that sometimes you know it, oh, yeah. I think we have a tendency sometimes of, to focus on the negative and not to say that there's nothing negative like those things are real and they exist but um 
then you know you put a little distance between you and whatever that thing is and you start going yeah i mean that was a thing but you know it starts to, you start to appreciate it more you know at least that's where where i've arrived um I was coaching powerlifting kind of as a side project and it grew to the point where it was taking up all my free time anyway. Uh, so my wife is active duty and she had orders to Aviano, Italy. And uh, I was like, well, there's no missiles in Italy and I'm spending all my free time uh, doing powerlifting coaching anyway. So uh, that's when I decided to separate and go full time coaching. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh, one of the things you're known for, and I, you get asked about this a lot, is uh, like bringing RP to powerlifting. Cool. And uh, so when I was talking to my wife about it, I didn't really know. I was like, yeah, he's the father of RP. And she was like, I thought this like uh, Scandinavian guy, like Gunnar Borg was the dude who did it. And it was like a one, she's a PTA. So she's like, it's a one to 20 scale. And I was like, that seems obnoxious because you know, <laughs> think of everything in like one to 10, like, oh, that meal was a 10 out of 10 or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. So RPE it did originate in endurance sports with Gunnar Borg, and uh, so his his idea was hopefully to match level of effort up with a heart rate range. So uh, he, that's where the six to twenty awkward scale comes from. Is like, you know, it's supposed to be uh, you know a tenth of the heart rate. You know, so if you rated something a fifteen, you're supposed to be around 150 beats a minute. And it didn't work out quite that way, you know, and but it's a good idea. And it got ported over into a one to 10 scale because that's a lot more natural. But uh, even the one to 10 scales hadn't really made it over to resistance training. Um, and where I first encountered the idea of RPE was through reading super training. So this would have been like in 2005, 2006 timeframe. I was a cadet. I'm uh, the cadet in charge of the powerlifting club. And I've got all these other cadets who I'm, uh, I'm like the old man on the team. So I'm, you know, the default coach, you know, so trying to learn and figure it out as I go. At the time, like powerlifting culture, you're supposed to read this book called Super Training, which is like a textbook. It's this, and at this point, it's fairly dated, you know, but it's full of like all these esoteric references to things. And it never quite lands on practical advice, but still everybody's supposed to read it. So I'm doing reading it like everybody's supposed to. Uh, and there was a section in there on RPE. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's a really cool idea. And at the time also, uh, there were other powerlifters who were talking about like, hey guys, you don't have to take every set that you do to absolute failure. You could stop a rep shy. Leave a rep in the tank was something that you heard a lot, you know, uh, that it doesn't compromise the stimulus very much. You still get your gains, but it's a little bit easier to recover. So you can do more sets. You could leave a rep in the tank or you could leave two reps in the tank or three reps in the tank, you know, or, you know, and then I'm thinking like in powerlifting terms, once you get past like two reps in reserve, uh, it starts to get a little different from there. You know, it, like reps in reserve didn't match up fully with, you know, the experience that I was having fully under the bar. So, uh, but anyway, uh, if you look for RPE training, uh, RPE, the RPE chart for powerlifting or something like that, kind of what you're going to find is the chart that I helped develop uh, or that I developed in 2000, 2006. It's more or less stuck. 
And as time has gone on, there's been university research done on the concept. Uh, they usually go in the direction of reps in reserve, though, so, uh, because it's anytime that you're going to research something, you have to have a rationale for why you're asking the question the way that you're asking. And just, hey, this is an idea that's popular in powerlifting is not a sufficient rationale. So, you know, the way the rationale landed when they're doing research is reps in reserve. That's why you see a lot of uh, popular um, fitness people in the strength training, bodybuilding space nowadays talk about reps in reserve, but it's a very similar concept. Mm -hmm. So, I've also noticed there's like a, a bunch of different like tools uh, to go along with, you know, there's RPE, there's reps in reserve. Um, a lot of people calculate stuff off of one rep max using percentages. And mm -hmm. I know that in your videos, you probably get a bunch of comments that like, hey, what is that string attached to your bar? And, you know, <laughs> the velocity stuff. And so I've seen that a lot in your uh, posts, like, wait, what's that, uh, that string there? And so um, of, of all those things there, um, is there correlation? Is that kind of like what you're trying to find with the velocity stuff between like percentage reps and reserve and velocity? And um, can those things like, are, are they all like, does one of them reign supreme or is like, what's your opinion kind of on that? Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a relationship uh, between all of these things, but you're absolutely right that the reason that I bring in velocity is uh, it helps give me a little bit more of an objective idea. Um, so you could do a set, and when you get up, I say, you've done one more, and you go, eh, yeah, probably one more, uh, but not two. You know, okay, we're going to rate that on nine. You know, there's still a subjective quality of that, and there's a skill to doing it. You know, somebody who's pretty new to lifting weights is not going to be super accurate with that sort of rating. It turns out that they're more accurate than maybe you might think, and the accuracy improves rapidly with practice. But, yeah. you know, th there's still a bit of subjectivity, and some people just seem to have a knack for it, and other people don't, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Velocity helps to cut through all of that, because it's, it's a more objective measurement. And uh, I know if it's 0.2 meters per second, that it's 0.2 meters per second. Now, the difficulty there comes in the interpretation. Because mm -hmm. how how slow can you go? You know, right. Some people can grind out a really heavy lift, and uh, you know, they can, their maximum attempt goes really really slow. Other people, their maximum attempt is still pretty fast, but if they put another five pounds on the bar, it doesn't go at all. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got to velocity is really helpful, useful, but uh, you've got to be willing to venture into Neverland a little bit, yeah. uh, and dig up this data and uh, build the, the charts and tables and stuff like that to get the information out of it. But if you're willing to do that, I mean, it's way more accessible than it used to be. The devices have come down in price a lot. And, like, you know, we're talking about a few hundred bucks instead of a thousand where it used to be. But, um, so it's, it's definitely a lot more accessible. And, and actually, even now, there's phone apps that start to give you some insight you know it's okay. debatable like accuracy comes into into play there but mm. it's enough to figure out if this is something that's interesting to you or not right yeah i immediately think of when i hear that this device i immediately think of like time under tension for that like training effect if you want the soldier to 
have just to be under the weight longer. That's just a way to monitor and get like a metrics. Hey, you was under this weight for this amount of time. Let's try and make that and improve from that number there. Um, trying to translate that over the military, how we want to get that time under detention and that muscle recruitment under. Yeah. That, like you know, which energy systems are being used and, and exactly. things of that nature. Yeah. You know, during the, the intro, uh, when you were being introduced, I got, if you don't mind if I ask you a question as well, um, something that's, that's on my mind a lot. I see people who are in, in my spaces, let's say like powerlifting type of coaches and things like that, that are seem to be very happy giving advice to uh, military folks and you know, tactical athletes is the, the common term. Tactical and, athletes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think surely there's something useful to be said there, but I don't know. Do you notice a lot of people giving advice to tactical athletes that maybe don't fully appreciate the environment that they're operating in? So, Absolutely. Maybe to put a little finer point on it, people that want to train soldiers as if they're powerlifters, but that's not really the job, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. And and and, and I, yes, that does happen, but it's also on the soldiers because soldiers seek this these these people to give them advice on this one small portion of the pyramid of fitness, um, whereas. I'm here to make sure this person, this service member could meet their mission essential task list, the job that they were hired for. Can they carry these boxes over a distance? Can they carry load under weight for this distance? Can they carry a buddy for this distance, right? So yeah. I'm here for that. So what I typically see is these, these kids that are getting these programs or these service members getting these programs, and it's not directly uh, transferring to something, their their workload, right? So that's that's the problem I'm having is trying to counterbalance these uh these personal trainers coming in and um giving yeah. them good information, but it's not very applicable to the the whole soldier, the holistic soldier. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one thing if you're if you're you know 22 year old me who thinks of himself as a powerlifter, but your job's really to be a misleader. There's not a whole lot of physicality going on there, so. There's plenty of reserve to do other things in your free time, right? Pass your PT test, do other things in your free time. It's very different if you're working a combat arms job where different qualities of your fitness uh, are just a lot more important, you know? Yep. Yeah, right. So um, uh, we had a previous episode with uh, Trent Greener. You know, are you familiar with him at all? I think I've heard the name. So he was the uh, the head strength and conditioning coach for uh, the University of Wyoming, but he ended up getting kind of drafted into working for Joint Special Operations Command, and currently he's with uh, the Air Force Special Operations Command doing the same same job. But um, a big part of that conversation was exactly that. Mm -hmm. He was basically saying that, like, look, you know, like he said, like, one of the first things I did at AFSOC whenever I showed up was I noticed that there's tons of these guys that are just like, I got to get big. And it's just like, but why? Like, like, you know, like, like you're doing all this work and all this effort, but your job is really not, it's not really conducive. Like, you, like you're actually detracting from your performance at work because you're so big. Yep. And so, yeah. um, and so like, he was very much kind of in the, the, the Rob Shaw tactical athlete kind of like mentality of like, like let's figure out what your job actually demands from you and then train for that. Yep. And uh, it was kind of a cultural shift because 
all those A type personalities, they're just like they have Rambo in their mind. Like, what do I need to do to be Rambo? Right. And and like and try to like you know, fulfill that. But really, uh, like Grinner was just like, no, that's like actually kind of dumb. Like you know, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And and so let's try to like you know like, get a finer point on it. So that's a good point that you bring up. I had an AMT. His name was Sergeant Stork, and uh, he was uh, Security Forces uh, in the Air Force. And no, no, like I'm 265 pounds, and he let me know. He's like, look, man. I don't want to. I don't want to be in the same unit. <laughs> you know, like you're a nice guy and everything, but you don't need to do that job, which is fine because that's not really the job I wanted to do anyway. But you know, that stuff is important anyway. Sorry, it definitely took us off on a tangent, but I mean, no, we're flowing. There's yeah. no agenda here. We're yeah, but say, and that's super, super relevant for our guys because yeah. we have like you know your soldiers generally fall into like one of three categories, and I'm a chaplain, so I I talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, kind of category one, which is like I don't know what to do, so I do nothing, and so they just become like this big pillow, and right. we have like we have to work on those guys, right. and then like we have a, a other uh, category of people that they're just kind of doing things that they're doing stuff and they're compliant, but they're just like all over the place, and they just need to be like kind of coached and channeled to put that effort and energy to a certain place, and then you have another category of people who are just like I'm just going to be like an ultra marathoner, I'm going to be a power lifter or whatever, and like they they end up failing the the mission in other areas because they're so hyper-focused in one thing. Yep. And so it's really yeah. good that you bring that point up. So yeah. I could see how that, like I could see how I might get pulled in a direction like that. Powerlifting is such a quantifiable activity. You either lifted more weight or you didn't. You did more sets or you didn't. You know, and there's a lot of stuff like that with running too, but it's a lot harder to determine, you know, you know, hey, I'm doing this fitness program uh, that's supposed to make me better at my job, but you know, your job is less quantifiable. But, you know, team sport athletes have the same problem. You know, like it's hard to know, did, you know, adding 10 pounds to your bench make you a better basketball player? You know, I mean, we can look at that example and go, well, probably not. But other examples, it's maybe a little bit harder to tell. Right. You know, but I uh, would imagine that um, military folks a lot of times have more sorts of issues yeah yeah the good thing about this uh new uh, well not so much new the acft program that we got here now it has the uh the deadlift a three rep deadlift right so um yeah so this that kind of opened up the doors for so for service members to get into the the power lifting platform at least for that right and then yeah. with that other uh transferable skills like say a front squat i might program for someone mm -hmm. um, that's a little more, bit more advanced but still needs to work on certain upper body recruitment um so yeah. I'm, I'm just excited about that part as uh for the acft and being able to get some of those movements those power lifting movements in there and prescribing some of that because it's it's been times when we need it's been a long time coming this has been needed to be implemented sure. for sure so yeah, i mean it's it's cool to, to hear about guys thinking deeply thinking critically about that sort of thing too yeah, yeah and, and and because of the injuries that happen while while training and I'm, there's been plenty of studies out there. Had the service member been training for this, this wouldn't have happened, right? Like now we're starting to include yoga. There's a budget for us to hire some people to come in to do to train yoga. The army wants to send me to go get trained up on yoga so I could teach yoga, right? Wow. Like, yeah, we got this new program. It's called the Holistic and Health Fitness Program, and it's great. <laughs> it's great. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's from a mentality. It's a facility that have a mental health professional. We have a diet registered dietitian. We had these uh, Olympic certified trainers up in there giving advice. We have physicians in there helping out. 
And it's just one a one-stop shop person in there to help with a service member's financial needs. Um, I think the military is on the right path, right? Because if a soldier is thinking about these other things, they can't worry about, they can't focus on the mission, right? So right. Yeah. I think the military definitely is going down this, uh, the right rabbit hole here. Yeah, That's awesome. It is great. Cool. I'd like to have you part of it one day, maybe, you know, have you come out. Yeah. And... <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. It's super cool. Man. Super, super cool. Man. Yeah, being uh, as I'm in Chaplain Sanders' third category, somebody who likes to do uh, like strength sports and the that kind of stuff. My, one of the questions I had, um, I also need to run. Um, and yeah. I grew up in Colorado running, and then I joined the military and got into this kind of stuff, and then uh, really, really enjoy lifting. Uh, do you have any clients or anybody that you work with that um, they go, man, I really love powerlifting. However, I got to run. I have to run or I need to run. How is that programmed into and like, how do you even manage that stress with that? For a power lifter, yeah. Yeah, for a power yeah. lifter. Well, the, I mean, I could tell you about the way that I did it when I was, uh, when I was on active duty. And I was competing at a, at a high level at the time as well. Um, and, you know, take this for what it's worth because like this whole conversation we just had, like my context is going to be a little bit different. Just because I had to to do well on my PT test, but that was the main thing. Like doing extra good on my PT test didn't really get me anything extra. But that may not be true for other people, you know. So, but from where I was sitting, it's like, well, I I wanted to, you know, had to do well on my PT test, but uh, also just wanted to have this capability to you know, be able to not be a total slug when it came to running. Um, but my primary focus was as a powerlifter from a physical standpoint, my primary focus was as a powerlifter. The way that I would do it uh, as a PT test approached, I kind of knew how long it was going to take me to be ready, ready. Um, so for me, it was usually you know, a couple months ahead of time to start, uh, start my preparations. And I did something called uh, goal-paced running, which is really easy for a PT test because you know how fast you have to run it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was a, at my Air Force Base is not running outside most of the year. Uh, so they had an indoor track, which most people hated because it was a fairly small indoor track. It was 13 laps to make a, a mile and a half. Oh, you know? Hamster wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mind it so much because to me, like I looked at it, and I go, okay, I know I'm going to run in 12 minutes-ish. So 13, that gives me 13 checkpoints, right? So I figured out whatever I needed to do. I needed to do 50 second lap or something like that, you know? And so I would just set my, set my watch. And the first time out, first couple times out, probably couldn't do it, you know? Uh, I would probably get to lap, you know, eight, nine, and need to stop and take a break. Couldn't maintain that 50-second lap pace. Uh, so I'd stop and rest for a minute and then pick it up again until I made my mile and a half. Then the next time out, keep up the same pace, try to hold that pace a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And, you know, after after a few weeks of uh, doing this a couple times a week, I was able to run the mile and a half at whatever I needed to run it at. And you know, I was good to go. Now, for us, the, the other components of the PT test were push-ups, which were never an issue, and sit-ups, which, again, took 
practiced the test a couple times and good to go because the other aspects of my training were enough to fill in the gap. It was really the run that needed attention, but it's, you know, I was kind of, again, cashing in on the aspects of fitness that had been developed uh, kind of constantly, you know, it's being generally fit and then specializing in the tests for, you know, a month, two months prior, you know. Yeah. So what the, when you trained up for this running, did you notice any kind of effect on your power lifting, right? You said you was in a competition yeah. at that time. Yeah, so when I was going for like two mile running, I had this one squad leader, he was a soccer player. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get my two mile in 11 minutes and 58 seconds, but my push-ups and sit-ups went down my weight lift. I couldn't ruck as fast, but I tell you what, I ran a fast two yeah, mile, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So how did that affect you? you know, I mean, I was, I was afraid of it, you know, cause everybody always talks about this interference effect, you know, and that, you know, people who are good at lifting don't do a lot of running. But when I sit down and look at my own training data, I did not see that. As mm. being the case, you know, I mean, I do think you've got to be smart about how you program it. So I was planning my whatever it was two running days a week um, to be further away from my other lower body training days. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so it helped to not interfere that way. But to be honest, I was maybe more productive, not less productive. Uh, in my in my lifting sessions so it, it certainly didn't seem to hurt it might have helped and in the time since then too we've kind of I guess broadened our understanding about like what athletes need like okay you don't need aerobic fitness to lift one rep like well, one rep max like you do in powerlifting that's not real heavy on your aerobic fitness but all the training that you do you have to recover from that training which does utilize the aerobic energy system so having some level of aerobic development is probably good for you now Mm. you can take anything too far but probably running a couple times a week you know for you know however much time of the year that this took up is not crossing that line at least it wasn't for me everybody's if there's one thing that will hold true it's the individuals are going to be different yeah uh, but you know it definitely wasn't a thing that i needed to be afraid of yeah yeah I, i'm a firm believer in aerobic training aerobic capacities um mm-hmm. definitely helps with your beta creatine storage and even your anaerobics uh you know capacity because aerobic is just a, a tool to get you to the other side for other ones My, yeah. right well it's it's a it's good to have a solid aerobic base. I mean, even now, uh, I'm playing training for a powerlifter. I don't necessarily have them run because it's not specific to the things they, they care about the most. We do blocks of training focused on uh, energy systems, focused on metabolic development. Uh, there's training effects there that we care about. And it doesn't have to be all one way or another, but... Uh, you know, we'll definitely loop in parts of this. You know, just constraining the rest periods a little bit uh, gives us some of the aerobic training effect that we're looking for. You know, I mean, they are powerlifters and not there's no run tests for them. Uh, so it's, you know, again, different context. But even 
from a pure power lifter, we're not ignoring energy system development, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, uh, obviously, the most recent thing that's kind of been going on with you is, I know that you took uh, about six years out from competition due to an injury. And uh, uh, one thing from listening to your podcast throughout the years is you talk about um, doing what feels good and then finding what your, uh, you know, your best hits are like uh, yeah. track of what you're going to do. Um, essentially, uh, finding breakthroughs and stuff like that. And obviously, there's some type of intersection between those two ideas of what feels right and then what your greatest hits are. Um is maybe speak a little bit on that. And I know you could probably throw some stuff into about all the events that are in the ACFT and training for those. Yes. Cause a lot of people they'll go, Oh, I need to improve my uh, deadlift. So I'm going to do like leg curls or something silly like that. And you're like, no, you got to train the the movement itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, antagonist and antagonist muscle groups. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Get on, get a good place to start is practicing the test. You know, that uh, fitness tests are, you guys might see it a little bit differently because, you know, the fitness test is not necessarily the test, you know, that you need fitness to support your, your job in a larger context, where for powerlifting, the test is the thing that we care about, you know. So it's, it is a little bit different in that way, but, still, you know, look, if you got to pass your PT test before you worry about some of these higher ideals, then you got to pass. So starting from the basis of practicing the test seems to make sense. Um, you know, you got to get your deadlift up, then practicing deadlift. If you've got to get your run up, uh, then run, not necessarily go for a swim. You know, is there a time and place for those things? Yeah, but like if you're having this conversation because, you know, the soldier's in panic mode, it's probably too late to worry about cross training. You know, we're going to do the specific things. I remember there was a guy uh, in, he wasn't my unit, he was in an adjacent unit, um, uh, failed his PT test pretty badly, actually. And, uh, you know, he had, I forget what it was, maybe 90 days to retest. And uh, his leadership, they called me. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, I'll try to help him, you know. And, uh, but that was what it was. It was like, okay, 90 days to, to fix this, then. We're going to start by practicing the test in the most specific way possible because that gets you the highest transfer. You know, and then later, you know, once the time pressure was a bit less, then we can worry about doing things in a more uh, holistic way, in a more sustainable way, and things of that of that nature. Yeah, I mean, I start by practicing practicing deadlifts if that's the thing that we're worried about the most, but. Um, yeah, I think there's a line to be walked there too. Like you mentioned, um, like how does it feel uh, to the athlete? Unless you're pretty far down the rabbit hole already of of fitness, it's probably not going to feel good. So you've got to be careful about what feeling we're facing. You know, mm -hmm. but I definitely like the idea of tracking your data looking back and seeing like what is it that actually led to a positive effect. I mean, I'm 250 pounds. I was never a great runner. Didn't enjoy running, you know, <laughs> in the time since I haven't run that much, you know, because it's just not, not my thing. 
But, you know, I can look back at my data and say, look, running didn't hurt my squat training, for example. And because I can, that, that's going to be a little bit more objective than, than my perception of it at the time, you know? Hmm. Right. The military definitely got smarter about about all, about uh, training up and making sure that uh, we're not double tapping on certain things and spacing mm -hmm. out how we do things now, for sure, man. Yeah, so uh, obviously you talked about keeping the main thing the main thing. We had a yeah. commander that was like, he said that all the time, like, let's just keep the main thing the main thing. Yep. His name mm -hmm. is uh, Colonel Broyles, shout out to him. Um, but uh, yeah, he would always say Our that to me. Ones. Yeah, yeah. And he... Uh, but also like the specificity of it. Now that another question that was kind of that I didn't uh, write down, uh, reactive training systems, you guys, you talked about how you had some lifters that they were doing some stuff and they kind of, I don't know if it's like a plateau or they hit kind of a roadblock. And then you were like, kind of made a pivot. You're like, Hey, well, why don't you try this certain thing and, you know, do kind of what feels good. Uh, is there like a timeline on that? Or do you just kind of wait for training to stagnate and then make an adjustment then? How does that usually work? Yeah, the way that we'll typically run it in a, in a powerlifting context is just that we build a training program and we just, for us, most of the time, the easiest way to think about it is it's one week of training. We'll run that week on repeat. Mm -hmm. The same exercises, same sets, same reps. The weight on the bar will change uh, mm -hmm. based on their RPE and their performance. So what ends up happening is it's you know, pretty much the same week that they're running on repeat. It's just that as they get stronger uh, or weaker, well, as the case may be, but hopefully stronger, uh, that the weight on the bar will adjust. You know, and that gives me insight as a coach to, to monitor their program and say, okay, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? What's going on with our performance? What we see is that there's usually a couple different response types. Uh, you have the athletes that kind of just get better from week one. You know, week one is, you know, 100 pounds, week two is 105 pounds, week three is 110 pounds, and so on. Mm. Then you have an, a type two response, which your, your week one performance, then week two is worse. Uh, but week three and, and forward is uh, kind of steady improvement. So like there's this initial dip followed by a steady uh, improvement. Then your type three response is, um, looks pretty stagnant you know it's pretty much the same weights that they're lifting at the same speeds and yeah. it looks like nothing's happening much until they get close to the end of the block and then there's kind of a big spike in performance so we tend to notice these three different response types and we're kind of watching training for these responses and what we'll notice is that uh, I mean, nothing works forever right so um, Hey, let's look at the type one response because that's the easiest one. That's the, the one where, you know, they just kind of get better week after week. They'll get better week after week up to a point. Like I said, nothing works forever. And when that point comes and they start to have performance stagnation or regression, a little bit of regression sometimes, we'll take a look at and see, okay, how many exposures to this training week, how many weeks do we, we do here? And it varies from person to person. I'd say the average is five or six, but some are less, some are more. Uh, we'll take that count and kind of customize the length of their training box to that count. Mm. So for me, it was five weeks for several years. You know, So each training block I did was five weeks. 
let me train for five weeks. I would extract all the value I could get out of this train block. And then after that was over, I knew that continuing to do that same thing was not going to help me anymore. Um, so I would do a pivot, um, which is a, a short period of training where you reduce the fatigue, you train some different qualities that maybe you've been putting on the back burner for a little bit. Then you can start a new development block that's different from the first one. You know, so you it kind of makes this pattern of development block, pivot, development block, pivot, development block, pivot. Each development block is a little bit different, but still oriented at improving the the sport, the qualities that you're using to improve the most. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Do you get anything on that or you? Yeah, I, ha I had a question here while you were talking is um, we deal with a lot of type A personalities here, much like yeah. I believe you do as well with mm -hmm. uh, powerlifting, right? Um, mm -hmm. How do you communicate uh, lower reps and weight through periodization with A type people? Pretty much like how do you work on expectation management? That seems to be the issue I have here is people expect, like say I'll give them a micro mesocycle with a deload after four weeks. Right. We get to week three, they're ready to throw everything out the window because they're not hitting what they expect in their head. What words right. or tips or tricks you have from, say, one coach to another sure. to get this person focused on the task? Yeah, um, I, I do like the gas tank analogy for deloads. Like a lot of people um, don't really think of themselves as athletes even uh, in, in situations like this mm -hmm. uh, or maybe don't understand why taking a, a week it's not a week off it's not even necessarily easy training but it's just very different training right. and there is less of it on the whole um, but they may not understand how that fits into the big picture I'm just trying to explain to them look your your recovery ability is something like a gas tank and you've been hammering away at it for give some time to put more gas into the tank, not just take out all the time. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to be able to make any sort of adaptation anyway. Because the thing we care about is the adaptation. I think what a lot of people do, they don't even realize they're doing it, but they kind of get they get some sort of psychological benefit from training really, really hard. You know, they want to do hard stuff. They want to feel like they completely right. killed themselves in the gym yeah if i ain't sweating i ain't training is what uh, what's commonly used yeah and look, there's a time and place for that but there's also a time and place that you need to recharge and you know i mean one way to think about it is would you do this if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were going to get nothing from it because that's the situation that you're that you're going to be in at past a certain point you've got to let the the body recharge you're, you're trying to you're trying the another analogy that i use all the time is training is a lot more like growing a garden than building a car mm -hmm. you know now that's an analogy that maybe doesn't sit real well with the type a types but look if you're growing a garden this is the reality that you're trying to grow a garden and this is your your different qualities of fitness you can't just water the thing a whole bunch and force it you know, you can you only give it what it needs. You coax it along, and it's gonna it's gonna develop on its own. You provide the stimulus. That's that's it. And sometimes you need to back off of that stimulus so that the adaptation can happen. You know, another thing people say a lot is you you don't get 
you know, get bigger muscles or you don't get better from training, you get better from recovering from the training. You know, and it, it's, it's tough. It's tough for people to internalize that, especially when they can get so much of their psychology wrapped up in that feeling of I got to empty the tank every day. Every time. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And then, you know, you add on the stresses of life and then, you know, we, we go to the field, right? Mm-hmm. Combat arms every three weeks. We're in the field training. Well, uh, so that's another stressor. I'm gone for two weeks. I know, and uh, I have a couple of people training. They go out training, come back. There might be a small difference in how they move the weight. Some people no difference, and I, I, you know, everybody's uh, body is different. I try not to put those two people together in the same room. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but uh, this is something we face all the time. It, people that don't even fully understand how much the life stress is making an impact on them. Absolutely. You know, like I talked to a guy, training's not going well, right? He's not getting stronger. And I'm looking at the training going, just kind of scratching my head going, this should be working. What is going on here? You know, and I start talking to him, you know, are you dealing with a lot of life stress right now or anything like that? No, no, everything's going really good. You know, I'm just, keep talking, keep explaining stuff, listen to him a lot, and he'll come to find out, you know, his job is, uh, you know, kind of dicey, and, you know, he might be getting laid off soon, and he's not, he's having some trouble with uh, his marriage at home, things like that. He doesn't even think about that as being life stress, but that, it does matter, you know, you, you may not feel like this is making a difference to your progress in the gym, but it can it absolutely can. Oh, it makes an, an impact on your ability to recover from any of these stressors. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to jump at that on just like a different perspective because yeah. so um, like I'm not a fitness person at all. Like it, it left to my own devices, I'd be the size of a house and I would just be, you know, laying around house, not doing anything. Right? That's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. right. So <laughs> like, it takes a lot of personal discipline to like, hey, can I keep after that? So I say that to basically say, um, I like I, I, there's a lot of this stuff that you guys are talking about. That I don't really know anything about. I'm learning a lot. Uh, especially from doing the podcast and talking to guys like you. And I'll say uh, one of the things that I've, I've picked up on is that like, I'll train really, really hard. Just like you're saying, this is like every day has got to be like, you know, a max effort type thing. And, um, and so I've kind of learned that's not necessarily a good, good approach to life, uh, which is cool. I like to like not do that too. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but the, the other thing is, is that like the past couple of weeks for, for me, work-wise has been extremely stressful, long days trying to, to get yeah. things around get things going and stuff like that and i've started noticing that like uh like i, I do a routine where I'm, I'm lifting and then i do like a, a like a sandbag uh like burnout thing uh, at, at the end it's like an 18 minute grind it's 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 challenging but I, I i used to enjoy it and then like here over the past couple of weeks i gotta get to the point where i'm just like i i just don't have it in the tank i just cannot do it yeah. like so like i've, I've been like kind of like just glant just, just skipping it and stuff like that then you feel bad and you're like well like i, I didn't really like you know give it my, my, my max effort mm-hmm. but the reality of it is just is that like there's only like you only have so much bandwidth and like if something else is taking up that bandwidth you can't devote it uh, in the gym so like i, I just wanted to basically say that it's like yeah. it from a i'm in the trenches just trying to do it and figure it out myself kind of thing so well that's so helpful to have a coach or somebody like that because uh, there's there's a line to be walked here and you know you can easily see the situation where you can take that idea too far and you're just not really trying that hard and then you have other people who are just pushing things way too hard and Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to know which one are you doing. You know? Yeah. So having a third-party perspective that can kind of 
help guide you in that. You know, it could even just be kind of a buddy who also does this stuff sometimes. It can kind of just offer that outside outside looking in perspective. I, I would say it's probably better to the more knowledgeable your third party can be, the better. But yeah. Third parties better than just being left up to your own devices. I would yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like on the it, it, from a chaplain standpoint, the Catholics do this actually really well. On the spiritual side, they have like mm-hmm. a, a guy that they'll have they'll call a, a spiritual director, and that's his job. It's basically a spiritual coach. Like, hey, look, no, you need to like you know, like toughen up here, or like you need to lay off this or whatever else, and and, and it 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 harmonizes a lot that like, you know, what's happening on, on like kind of the spiritual side is also seems to be happening also on the physical side. It's the same thing. It just looks maybe a little bit different. So. I did not know that. That's very cool. Yeah. Now, now that we talked about uh, um, all the stuff that it goes kind of like against powerlifting, we'll, we'll talk about one more thing. We talked about cardio and stress and all that stuff. If you have like a, a, a lifter that needs to lose like body fat, mm-hmm. uh, cause I know you guys do some stuff with nutrition, and I, I know that that's a big thing. Nutrition huge. is huge for us. Um, huge. But if you have a, a lifter that is uh, needs to, like, because there's weight classes and all that kind of stuff, right. and maybe to get a little more competitive, they need to be at a certain weight. And uh, we right. all know cutting weight or doing that stuff is not necessarily the best. But how do you kind of manage uh, losing adipose tissue and diet and nutrition, like feeding and windows and all that kind of stuff? Right. Something you you really get into, or um, yeah, yeah, a bit, a bit. I mean, the the basics that I start from is just tracking, you know, just tracking what food you're eating, and a lot of people know what they're supposed to be doing. It's it's more a matter of doing it, you know. But right. I do I do a little bit of nutrition coaching, mostly talking to lifters about you know weight management. Uh, in the broader context of their training. Uh, but, you know, I've got colleagues who get really into it, you know, and, you know, he tells me, like, most of his job is talking to young lifters, trying to get them to eat their vegetables, and it just kind of blows his mind a little bit that it's like, you're, these are athletes that take this very seriously, and they're tracking all this stuff, and they're, you know, organizing their life around this. They're not eating vegetables because, they don't see the point. And then they, they get them to start eating vegetables and they're like, oh man, I feel so great. I'm like, well, yeah. But what I've seen I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh I forget. I got a, I got one of those minds where my mind runs off. Uh <laughs> is um supplement usage, right? Like uh, mm, yeah. aren't going the right way. What are your thoughts on supplement usage? I mean, the, the main basics uh, still come back to nutrition. You know, if I've got an athlete who's, you know, still they're getting their stuff taken care of, they're, you know, a young, healthy person, then we might consider uh, caffeine uh, pre-workout. And then we might, and we would consider creatine, uh, you know, provided those aren't, supplements that are contraindicated. Uh, caffeine is probably the more likely to be contraindicated. You know, if they've got any sort of recovery issue, then uh, we're probably going to shy away from that. And um, even then, it's best if you can kind of periodize caffeine intake, which is a hard thing for people to do because 
yeah. a lot of people like it, you know, honestly. Yeah. Um, and especially you kind of build a habit around it where, you know, you have caffeine before workout. And so your workouts are better. And so you keep doing caffeine before your workout. And then, you know, I think it it's probably better if, especially during those deloading periods that we talked about, if you can kind of let that stuff go too, uh, you know, dehabituate to it a little bit at least. But beyond that, you know, there's, I wouldn't say there's no value to other supplements, but there's very, very limited value. Uh, and most of the stuff that you might try to just pick up from the supplement store or something like that is probably not helpful at best. You know, you're talking about spending a lot of money on this stuff for probably no benefit. And you know, I've got a friend who talks about this quite a bit and, and you know, you might think, you know, that that's sometimes that that's a trade you're willing to make. You know, you say, well, I've got a little disposable income and I'm going to uh, try this supplement. Well, it, it may not just be the money that's spent on the supplement. It's kind of the, the energy that goes into it might be better spent doing something else. Like, would you be better served by trying to organize things a little bit better so you got another half hour of sleep, you know? Mm -hmm that's that's such an underrated thing and look i say this as a guy who really does not take care of my sleep as much as i should no i should do better uh, it's look i get it life is is sometimes tough to organize in that way but if we're going to look at the hierarchy of things that could be done then you, know, you got to put things like sleep and good nutrition as way more fundamental than like supplements and it'll make a way bigger difference if you get those things right you know, uh, protein powder is something that comes up a lot, though. It does seem like it's easier for people to get their meet their protein requirement if they're using a protein supplement, especially uh, bigger bigger people. You know, with, but a lot of times our, our protein requirements are anchored uh, in body weight. You know, so like in powerlifting, a good landmark would be a gram of protein per pound of body weight. Um, you don't necessarily have to go that high, but if you do go that high, then you're pretty certain that you've covered all of your bases and you're getting you know, pretty pretty close to maximizing the value of protein. But like I said, I'm 265 pounds. That's a lot of protein to get in a day. So using some sort of protein powder makes that a bit easier. But there's nothing special about the protein powder versus, you know, protein from other sources either, you know, and, you know, for, if you come in at 170 pounds, you know, you're probably looking at 170 grams of protein in a day, and that may be a lot more realistic to get through whole food sources and easier on your wallet to get through whole food sources too. So. Right. right. Yeah. I know from my own experience, I know like, um, and this is what I share with other people is, and they've seen it, uh, so I up my protein intake and my composition. And we was talking about adipose fat mm -hmm. tissues, right? Which is your typical mm -hmm. midsection. I noticed just upping my protein just changed my composition alone, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that, and I'm glad that you kind of like validated what I was thinking, what I, the reason my, my thought process behind doing this switch. Um, so yeah. thank you for that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, because it helps. That's sure. one of the things. Uh, so they talk about the... Uh, homogenic effect of, of food and that basically it 
takes more energy to break down proteins. Uh, so if you're looking at um, two different people and they're both eating whatever it is, 2,000 calories a day, one person's getting more protein than the other person. person with higher protein burning more calories just to digest the protein. So it makes, uh, basically means you eat a little bit more. I mean, it's not a ton. We're not talking about huge amounts here, uh, but it's a, a little bit more. So if you're basically in calorie maintenance, you know, you say you've been maintaining your weight on 2,000 calories a day, uh, and now you just make this simple swap uh, to get a little bit more protein, you know, well, now 2,000 calories was maintenance, but you're going to be burning a little bit more uh, through just the, the digestive process. Uh, so you could expect to maybe drop a little bit of weight, you know, or you compensate by, you know, eating another. Again, it's not, not a ton. It's going to depend on how much we're talking about, but maybe another 50 calories or 100 calories, which is like one extra mouthful of food. So, I mean, let's not go crazy here, but... Yeah. You know, over time, these things can can add up. Yes, definitely compound more and more or less that you eat. That's yeah. a compounding effect. But yeah, so uh, uh, Mike, thanks for for coming on. We're, ru we're running up on a, an hour of uh, a recording, and so we don't want to go. Don't want to take up too much of your afternoon because we know you, you got a bunch of kids. Uh, <laughs> bunch of kids. We got a big here over there. Just the bell, man. <laughs> yeah, we want to give you like an opportunity. Like, uh, there's like one last thing you want to say. We'll kind of go around the horn and, and wrap it up. Oh gosh, um, yeah, one more thing to say. Oh, it is just thanks. It's good to talk to you guys. Uh, yeah, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. I appreciate the questions. It's very clear to me that you guys have put a lot into this and and uh, have really thoughtful questions. And um, yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you for your time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Get anything else? You got any sweet dad advice? Dad advice. Uh, clean up after yourself. All right. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> good advice. Yeah. Right, well, that's a good way to end. So thanks, Mike, for coming on. Like, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Good chat with you guys. Yeah. You take care. This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. If you're interested in seeing if you have what it takes to join our team, go to our Instagram and click the link in the bio. Click the join link and connect with us.